0: The following episode of Annals On Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call.
1: The existing adolescent HPV program is working. The article actually has some now and then data that compared the 2013-16 to 16 to the pre-vaccine era.
0: The first is Effectiveness and Cost Effectiveness of Human Papillomavirus Vaccination Through Age 45 Years in the United States. This appeared in the December 2019 issue of the Annals. The second, which just came out on February the 3rd, is Recommended Adult Immunization Schedule United States 2020 from the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Discussing these articles with me today is Dr. Sandra Freyhofer. Dr. Freyhofer is in private practice in Atlanta and adjunct faculty at Emory University. She's a former president of the American College of Physicians and has served as a liaison to ACIP for over 10 years. We hope that you enjoy and learn something from this podcast. Under current recommendations and base case assumptions... HPV vaccination is predicted to prevent 32 million diagnoses of anogenital warts, 13 million diagnosed cases of CIN-23, 653,000 cervical cancer cases, and 769,000 cases of non-cervical HPV-associated cancer over 100 years in the United States. This is a quote from the cost-effectiveness paper in the Annals of Internal Medicine on HPV. Sandy, could you tell us about HPV, what we're learning about it, and with that, tell us why our patients need immunization?
1: Well, Bob, you brought home the fact that this is a virus that causes cancer. There are more than 150 HPV types, and most infections are transient, and it's persistent infection with oncogenic, the high-risk types of HPV that can lead to cancer. There is a vaccine currently available in the United States. There's only one vaccine. It's the nine-valent Gardasil, and it protects against types 6 and 11, which cause over 90% of the anal genital warts that you mentioned. Also, types 16 and 18, which cause 64% of HPV-related cancers, and also five additional types. 31, 33, 45, 52, and 58 that are blamed for an additional 10% of cancers. And that's overall. That's not dividing up the numbers between males and females.
0: So just for clarification, HPV stands for human papillomavirus. Exactly. Exactly. I remember when I first heard about HPV vaccine, this was to prevent cervical cancer. But I've learned more recently that there are risks for both women and men. Could you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Sure. As I said earlier, the types 16 and 18 cause 64% of cancers, 65% for females, 63% for males. And the five additional types overall cause an additional 10% of cancers, 14% for females, 4% for males. So the additional five types, you know, having been protected from those actually has more benefit for females than for males. And for cervical cancer, the HPV 16 and 18 account for 66% of cervical cancers, and the five additional types account for about 15% of cervical cancers. About 50% of the cases of CIN1 are caused by 16, 18, and about 25% of the CIN2 or higher are caused by HPV 31, 33, 45, 52, or 58, those additional types. And I misspoke, approximately 50% of CIN2 and higher are caused by 16 and 18, and about 25% by HPV 31, 33, 45, 52, or 58.
0: Okay, and so the numbers you gave us, the different types of HPV, are what are in the non-valent vaccine.
1: Yes, yes, but... As you know, you mentioned the total numbers of cancers for anal cancers. There are actually more female cancers than male cancers that are caused by HPV. But for oral pharyngeal cancers, more males than females are affected. For example, for oropharyngeal cancers, there are over 13,000 cancers each year, 11,300 in males and 2,200 in females for anal cancers over 6,200 cancers each year, 4,200 in females, 2,000 in males. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that HPV can cause cancer in men. It's not just the cervical cancer vaccine, although it is the cervical cancer vaccine, but it's the cervical cancer and other types of cancer vaccine. So it's something that affects both genders.
0: So that's why currently we recommend vaccinating adolescents as they're going into adolescence for the vaccine. And I'm not sure I have this right, but I think that you need to do the vaccination before sexual activity occurs, because once you have the infection, the vaccine doesn't work as well.
1: You're right. The HPV vaccine is a prophylactic vaccine. It prevents new infections. It doesn't treat HPV-related disease. It does not prevent progression of HPV infection. And it works best if given before exposure to the virus, which usually occurs at the onset of sexual activity. And that's why it's routinely recommended early in adolescence before the onset of sexual activity.
0: So that's part of pediatric medicine now. But since most of our listeners are adult physicians, let's see if we can get a couple things clear here. First of all, uh, I had to look up what CIN stood for. So, could you explain CIN for those of us who don't use that term on a regular basis?
1: Uh, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia.
0: Okay. So is is that CIN
1: is all you need to remember?
0: Okay. Is that actually a cancer or is that a precancer? Precancer. So so what we're trying to <clears throat> do is decrease the cases of precancer, which lead and that, I assume that shows up on the Pap smear and leads to procedures and sometimes turns into cervical cancer.
1: Well, you bring up an important point even if you have had the HPV vaccine cervical cancer screening is still recommended so this is not at this point in lieu of cervical cancer screening
0: okay so we're preventing a number of different complications in many patients not all patients cuz it's only nonvalent and how long have we had that nine valent vaccine
1: well to give you a little history of the vaccine it was the HPV vaccine was first uh, made available in 2006 we had a bivalent vaccine, a quadrivalent, which covered 6 11, 16, and 18, and now the 9-valent. And now, since the end of 2016, the 9-valent is the only HPV vaccine available in the U.S.
0: Okay. So, now we have to get to the meat of the new recommendations and how they've changed for adult vaccination. So we're going to assume that we have a patient coming to our office who did not get the vaccine when they were an adolescent. And so what age range were we treating with vaccination? What are the new recommendations? Then we'll get into the more controversial issue.
1: So can we start with what the old recommendations were? Okay, perfect. That's great. Okay, ACIP, which is the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which is the group that makes vaccination recommendations for the entire nation. And just an FYI, if the recommendations that are listed on the ACIP schedule are supposed to be covered, given first-dollar coverage under ACA. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal to have your vaccine listed or to have a recommendation on the ACIP schedule. So the recommendation is the HPV vaccine is recommended for all boys and girls at age 11 or 12. It can be given as early as age 9. Gender harmonization was approved by ACIP in June of 2019. It used to be we gave it to all girls through 26, all females through 26, and, um, and all males through 21 and through 26 if for immunocompromised males and for men who had sex with men. But now we've harmonized that. It's simpler and it's recommended for both males and females through age 26. The number of doses required depends on the age at getting that first vaccine dose, the age at beginning that series. And so we talked about you want to give it early before exposure to the virus, but also in this younger age group, the vaccine works really well. The immune system of these adolescents is just fabulous. And so when they get vaccinated, they mount this robust response. And as a result, only two doses are needed if the first dose is given before the age of 15. And that's given on a zero, six to 12-month schedule. And if the first dose is given at or after age 15, you do need three doses. And that would be a zero, one to two months, and a six month as the third dose. And if you forget those intervals and the minimum doses, that's actually on the adult schedule that we hopefully can talk about a little later that is published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And three doses are also recommended for patients that have immunocompromising conditions. But that's not what you asked me about. You ready for the next part?
0: <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs>
1: So what happened is, um, so the vaccine was uh, recommended through age 26. Then on October 5th, 2018, FDA expanded the upper age indication from 26 up to age 45. So we have all these older adults, midlife adults, whatever you want to call, you know, this particular group. We don't want to call them old. Certainly not now. Old gets younger and younger every year, right?
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Um, But ACIP does not recommend it for all adults in its older age range. And what we're supposed to do now is use shared clinical decision-making to make the decision as to who needs it and who doesn't. And that's coded blue now on the adult schedule.
0: So let's just go back over a couple of things because I want to make sure that I understand and I assume that not everybody who's listening has understood everything we've said. (laughs) So... We originally were just doing this as people who were getting ready to enter adolescence. First it was girls, then it was girls and boys. Because they're adolescents, they have great immune systems. They get two doses. If the
1: first dose is given before age 15, if the it's first the age dose. of initiating the okay. series.
0: Okay. So you were okay. helping me. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're helping Got me. it. Okay.
1: You're doing o- good.
0: Otherwise, they're going to get three vaccines at at zero, approximately two months, approximately six months. Roughly. And you don't
1: have to start over. Good. You know, you just keep going forward. Good.
0: Okay. Then it was expanded to women up to the age of 26 and men up to the age of 21. And then in 2019, in the paper that you helped with the most recent guideline, this in the annals, it's both men and women up to 26, you clearly give the vaccine. Is that correct?
1: Well, no. No. Okay. No, not quite. See, that's why I had to go over this. So let's just, Mm -hmm. I think we we Mm -hmm. really want to focus on who of these midlife adults need it. But the gender harmonization happened at our earlier meeting. Okay. And that's not the focus of this annual article. But there is gender harmonization. We give it to all males and females to age 26. Okay. All right. So everyone through 26 gets it now. And now we're having to decide which of these older adults, midlife adults need it.
0: So going back to this cost-effectiveness analysis. Now, what they did is they tried to figure out on a population basis how many more cases of each of these complications would be prevented if you vaccinated everybody who hadn't been vaccinated between the age of 27 and 45. And they estimated, and this is from their paper, 0.4% decrease in anogenital warts 0.4% decrease in CIN2 or 3, 0.2% decrease in cervical cancer, and 0.2% decrease in non cervical cancer. So, as you were explaining to me earlier, trying to vaccinate everybody might not make sense because people may have already been infected. So, you're in practice and you have patients in this age group. Tell me what you do about shared decision making. How do you decide that this is a patient for whom vaccination makes sense?
1: Well, certainly we as internists, we are are privy to a lot of information about our patients. So I think we are in a very good position to help guide our patients through this process. But In making this shared clinical decision, ACIP has provided some guidance, and that's some of that is published in a box in the latest MMWR that I think we can probably include as a reference at the end. But some things to think about as you go through this process, there's no clinical antibody test that can determine who's immune and who's susceptible to any HPV type. The vaccine is safe for midlife adults, so vaccine safety is not an issue. However, uh, and we know about patients' history to some extent, the vaccine may not be as effective for those who've had multiple lifetime sex partners and thus are more likely to have already been exposed or infected with a vaccine-type HPV strains. Remember, we said that this is a prophylactic vaccine. It prevents new infections. It doesn't treat existing infections. It doesn't prevent HPV disease progression. Understand that people in a long-term, mutually monogamous relationship are not likely to get a new HPV infection. However, at any age, a new sex partner is a risk factor for new HPV infection. So that said, there are some patients, some people in this older age range, the 27 to 45, who might be at risk for a new HPV infection and thus could benefit from vaccination, And as I think about my patient population, I think about patients that are widowed or divorced and are dating again, and there's potential for these patients to possibly be exposed to a new HPV infection. So that's the group I'm really thinking about for this.
0: So the FDA in October of 2018 approved it for use up to the age 45, but ACIP in the guideline that's in the annals, has a blue box that says this is shared decision-making and should be used in a limited way for people who, together you deem, are at risk for new HPV infection.
1: Right. ACIP does not recommend it for everyone in the 27 to 45 Mm -hmm. age range. They do recommend it, a series for everyone up through age 26, which sort of brings us, um, there's some really good news about the current vaccination program. The existing adolescent HPV program is working. And the article actually has some now and then data that compared the 2013 to 16 to the pre-vaccine era. And it showed that HPV vaccine type infection has decreased in females age 14 to 19 from 11.5% down to 1.8%. It's also decreased in females age 20 to 24 from 18.5% down to 5.3%. And there's even more good news. We're starting to see a suggestion of herd immunity. Declines in HPV infection have even been seen and unvaccinated persons, which is so exciting, and that suggests the protective herd effects. And as you mentioned, the article in Annals just shows that the economic argument for vaccination is not as strong by any means as the adolescent program. The current adolescent program is actually cost-saving.
0: Yeah, let me just clarify, and I know what you meant, but I want to make sure the audience knows. They were particularly looking at the 27 through 45 age group in terms of cost effectiveness. And in those patients, it's generally not cost effective, but in particular circumstances, it might be.
1: Right. But the current adolescent program, cost saving versus no vaccination.
0: Well, this has been great. And I know that this topic is very personal. And you have a, you told me a story about a patient and you sort of wanted to dedicate. This podcast to one of your former patients.
1: Well, she's a current patient. And the vaccine was first available in 2006. And one of my patients, um, and she gave me permission to share her name. Her name is Irene Carpenter. Her daughter was diagnosed with invasive cervical cancer, and her daughter died in 2007. And I had told her that we now had a vaccine for HPV. And she gave me pictures of her daughter, Pam. So I have a picture of my daughter at age 16 and her daughter at age 16. Now, understand that my daughter was 16 when the HPV vaccine first became available. She was the very first patient I knew that got this vaccine. Um, And I'll tell you another little story about that. And then I have a picture of my daughter at age 19 and Pam at age 19. And I have a picture of Irene, her mother and daughter Pam when Pam was 48 And she died a year later of invasive cervical cancer. And so when you had invited me to do this podcast, I called Irene, I told her what I was doing. I said, would you mind if I dedicated this series today to Pam and she, she says, she burst out into tears. She says, oh please, that would mean so much to me.
0: So this is just a wonderful story of the success of vaccinations that we don't, we will have many less such stories in the future. I can't thank you enough for helping me and our audience better understand where to go with HPV vaccination in our adult population. We hope that most of the adults that we see have already been vaccinated, but we should always ask about vaccination in our patients below the age of 27. And if they haven't had HPV, we should offer it to them and strongly encourage them to have it. Uh, do you have any final thoughts about that?
1: Yes, I want to put a plug in Mm -hmm. for the 2020 ACIP Adult Mm -hmm. Immunization Schedule that is published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, and it's a great resource, and I encourage you to check it out. It's free to everyone, so you can download it and look at it. It's there when you need it. It can be very helpful.
0: Well, thank you for serving on the ACIP. It's time for Bob's Pearls. This podcast gives a great overview of HPV vaccine and its importance. The effectiveness of HPV vaccination in this country for women is well documented, as Dr. Freihofer shared with us. We're very explicit about the current recommendations for HPV vaccine for both genders. Finally, we emphasize from the new recommendations. And supported by the cost-effectiveness analysis, a shared decision-making approach to deciding on whether or not to provide HPV vaccine to our patients between the age 27 and 45. We hope that this podcast has given you a better awareness of HPV vaccine and its benefits. Thank you so much for listening.
1: For more episodes
0: of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.